India is gore intoxicated not as a limited view has it religion mad but infected by what plato called the divine madness of the philosopher the seeker after wisdom this was michael pym a quote from his book the power of india hello listeners welcome to the 7th episode of season 1 of itihasa an indic history podcast and you are listening to narendra vikram Season 1 is all about the Vijayanagara Empire. In the last episode, we explored Vijayanagara's political system and rationality behind its power structures. We also explored its successionless system and a great political game that was played among all the major stakeholders to ensure an order. In today's episode, we will delve into the importance of temples in 16th century Vijayanagara. and see the various roles they played in its highly evolved yet complex society we will also try to understand what temples meant to the ordinary citizens of the empire and also to the vijayanagara rulers before that it's important to note that the temples and temple building projects in the north bore a much higher brunt of the destruction pillage due to the incessant islamic invasions especially in between 12th to 16th centuries versus the south thanks to its geography south was comparatively shielded barring a 15 year period in the early 14th century when there were three separate invasions by the delhi sultanate the first invasion was in 1311 ad led by malik kafur the slave general of alauddin khilji malik kafur ended up sacking the sacred city of madurai then The second invasion in 1314 AD led by Khosrow Khan and the third in 1323 AD led by Ulugh Khan by the third invasion most of the predecessor empires of Vijayanagara were almost shattered and whatever was left was hanging by a thread by 1330 AD It wouldn't hurt to remind ourselves that we do owe our temples down south to our ancestors up north to an extent for soaking up a lot of damage due to back-to-back Islamic invasions from Afghanistan, Iran, Central Asia for more than 250 years and another 300 years of disastrous Mughal rule that saw widespread iconoclasm, temple destruction, looting and economic devastation. To an extent that explains why we still have a significantly higher number of old temples down south intact. which we celebrate and venerate to this day this is not to deny the temple destruction and iconoclasm that took place down south this is just to compare the scale of destruction across two different geographical areas then there was the tragic anomaly of the depraved madurai sultanate that ruled 43 years from 1335 to 1378 ad with interruption in 1357 ad for few years ibn batuta A Moroccan and a Muslim traveler of those times details with disgust the gruesome acts of the Sultan Ghiasuddin al-Damaghani in his chronicles named Rihla which means journey. The Madurai Sultanate was ultimately brought down by Kumara Kampanna son of Bukharaya I of Vijayanagara Empire. This is detailed in the 14th century Sanskrit poem Madura Vijayam also known as Veera Kamparaya Charitram. written by a telugu princess called ganga devi who is also known as gangambika 
who happened to be the wife of Kampanna. It was only after Kampanna's recapture of Madurai that both the magnificent temples of Meenakshi Amman and Sri Ranganatha were restored and reopened for worship after 43 years of closure. Legend has it that the priests had dug out the original lingam in the Meenakshi Amman temple and hid it behind the wall with a dummy lingam in the sanctum which bore the brunt of attacks by invading forces. It is said that after the recapture when the wall was reopened the two lamps that were lit 43 years ago were still burning and the original garland hadn't withered. The tourists visiting the Meenakshi Amman temple in Madurai even today claim to see visible crowbar marks on the decoy lingam outside. Unfortunately the Telugu Vijayanagara princess the wife of Kampanna Ganga Devi doesn't get due credit or a place in the pantheon of brave Madurai women like Rani Mangammal and Kannagi. If not for Ganga Devi's exhortations, inspiration given to her husband Kampanna and her beautiful poem, the history of Madurai would have been different and maybe forgotten to an extent. It is said that Ganga Devi's bravery was unquestionable and no less than a man's. She is said to have fought alongside her husband and in inspiring the women warriors in Vijayanagara army and rallying them in the battle. It is said that Ganga Devi had given Kampanna the sacred moon sword of the erstwhile Pandya empire and asked him to vanquish the depraved Madurai sultan and end the Madurai sultanate which was responsible for desecration of Madurai sacred temples, gut wrenching rapes and genocides so in 1378 after the fall of the madurai sultanate we can safely say that the era of proper hegemony of vijayanagara had started down south and which ushered in a new age of temple buildings and other feats of engineering for some vijayanagara is a city of victory for some it's a city of tragedy and then for some it's a city of temples temples of highest quality and exquisite beauty today we will look at the latter aspect the defined vijayanagara like none other without understanding this aspect of vijayanagara our journey of exploring vijayanagara's history will remain forever incomplete the importance of temples to vijayanagara goes to its roots and its true essence The very fact that there were no less than 100 temples built in and around the now ruined town of Hampi in between 1337 and 1565 speaks volumes of Vijayanagara's obsession with massive temple building projects. While the foundation of Vijayanagara is out of scope of this episode as such, I promise to my listeners that we will deal with it in a dedicated episode. It's important to note that the city of Hampi and the geography around it has been considered as very sacred even prior to the advent of written or recorded history. The geography and significance of it cannot be understated. We have already seen the importance of the city and its architectures, role and power and politics in the last episode. Even today, Virupaksha Temple and the Matanga Hill are still one of the most visited and sacred spots in Hampi. Its sacrality 
has been intact for hundreds and probably even a few thousand years in the hearts and minds of its devotees and vijayanagara rulers played a crucial role in keeping it that way during their reign the close relationship between religion and life of the people in the 14th and 16th century is pretty obvious the massive temple building projects in this part of the country were undertaken by vijayanagara rulers in the 300 plus years of rule this is not to take away anything from their predecessors like chalukya badami cholas pandyas or kakatiyas who were master temple builders themselves this is only to stress the fact that vijayanagara rulers took temple projects to a totally new level like never seen before these are mega projects and resulted in some exquisite examples of engineering and artistic marvels over a long period these temple building projects were almost always undertaken by kings members of the royal family feudal lords military commanders and ultra rich merchants connected to the high class nobility temple building was considered as one of the great seven meritorious deeds the impact of temples on social religious economic and cultural life was very significant while this applies to whole of india the temple projects were indeed taken to a different level down south with this we have a basic idea and better context of the prelude and setting in which these temple building projects down south during vijayanagara empire happened vijayanagara empire had reached its golden age during the reign of the great raya or also known as sri krishna devaraya down south one of the most beloved and respected monarchs to have ever ruled in india on par with other great rulers like rana pratap chatrapati shivaji maharaj ranjit singh ashoka chandragupta maurya or rudra singha of ahoms it was during the great raya's reign that arts culture religion wealth welfare of the people happiness in the empire and almost every aspect of an empire reached to such high levels that even to this day the monarch is fondly remembered for and celebrated by every person who knows even a little about him i will be doing a special episode on shri krishna devaraya in the upcoming episodes of this series the great raya was immortalized by the veteran telugu actor late nt rama rao in the 1956 cult classic tenali ramakrishna If you haven't seen that movie do yourself a favor and watch it even if you don't understand telugu it's even available on youtube for free and i promise your time will not go wasted it nicely visualizes aspects of the vijayanagara period in a beautiful way many vijayanagara rulers not only felt duty bound but also had a fetish for building huge temple complexes in their empire and especially in the capital city of hampi from the tamil provinces they imported highly skilled labor like sculptors architects artisans blacksmiths of highest caliber who could give a run for money to phd metallurgists of today and probably even teach them a thing or two it's well documented and reported that the physical dimensions attention to detail and level of sophistication at hampi in the temples like virupaksha balakrishna vithala Hazara Rama, Achyuta and Pattabhi Rama are exceptional 
in every way the huge temple complexes clearly indicated a forethought with the idea of building sub temples within them as part of the future expansion projects so the importance of temples to vijayanagara is a foregone conclusion by now realizing this cultural and religious importance the kings the nobility well the merchants and the professional guilds contributed heavily to these projects with liberal donations and gifts to temples it's well recorded that krishna devaraya made several donations grants to the majestic virupaksha temple at the time of his coronation and also commissioned building a new gopura which means the crown of a temple and funded the beautification of the temple by building a beautiful mandapam and renovating the old gopuram after the successful conclusion of the 1512 to 1514 military campaign of krishna devaraya against the gajapatis of orissa led then by prataparudra to commemorate the victory over gajapatis he constructed the balakrishna temple and reconsecrated the idol of balakrishna which he had brought as a war trophy from the conquered udaygiri fort it is important to mention that the vijayanagara forces did not desecrate destroy loot or pillage the temple that initially housed the balakrishna idol in udaygiri they only removed the idol from that location to understand this better let's take a quick detour i must stress that it is important to differentiate the act of moving the idol to a new location versus desecrating the idol its housing with crowbars cannons and then using its stone to lay as steps for some other place of worship in the middle ages especially with the advent of islamic rule in india and the consequential rise of iconoclasm it was a common practice in hindu temples to move the consecrated idols to safer locations or cleverly hide them before the marauding forces arrived to destroy them you know similar to what they did in the minakshi amman temple by hiding the lingam behind the wall and then putting a decoy lingam in front of it once the besieging forces or invaders left and the place or the city is considered liberated the idols would be brought back to the temples and reconsecrated in a grand way in this particular case taking away the consecrated idol from the sacred space like the great raya did was not just an act of delegitimizing the gajapati ruler for failing to protect the deity of such utmost importance but also an act of moving the fortune and luck accompanied by the divine force of such a powerful deity into vijayanagara it was also like a competition between the hindu kings to see who among them can protect and worship the deity better meenakshi jain in her masterpiece and a landmark work published in 2019 the flight of deities and rebirth of temples delves into this aspect at length she draws upon the sacred purva karana agama to illustrate that it was incumbent on the triumphant king to bring deities from the vanquished kingdom and arrange for their worship in a way that they ought to be worshiped in full glory meenakshi jain has this to say about the act of idol kidnapping and in the process draw a contrast against the backdrop of islamic invasions quote instances of appropriation of images by hindu kings in times of conflict 
reiterated the contrast with Islamic iconoclasm. Almost without exception, Hindu rulers honored the images they acquired, thereby reaffirming a shared sense of the sacred. In Islamic cases, seizure of an image entailed its very dismemberment." Unquote. Now that you have some idea of the idol removal by Hindu kings, it helps you understand the actions of Sri Krishna Devaraya or similar episodes in the history much better without falling for wild assumptions or our own flawed back projections into the past. During the Vijayanagara era, a number of religious activities, ceremonies and festivals were celebrated by its citizens within the temple complexes. It's also well known that both Shaivism and Vaishnavism were the two main religions in the empire. Both Shiva and Vishnu used to be worshipped in different forms such as Virupaksha, Mallikarjuna, Pampapati which means husband of goddess Pampa, one of the utmost important deities of Vijayanagara. This again goes to the foundation of the city right to the day zero and then in the form of Nageswara. While god Vishnu was worshipped in the forms of Vithala, Krishna, Narasimha, Venkateshwara, Tiruvengalanatha and Anantasayana. So Vijayanagara rulers naturally built temples and other magnificent edifices for all these forms of God. This made the rulers to be very accommodative and hence built small shrines around the main Garbhagriha which means womb of the temple in the temple complexes. Even if it meant they were deviating from the original intended design. Hence, this style of temple building attracted both the skilled workers and devotees alike. The temples also acted as major religious venues during the Mahanavami, Dashara, Deepavali, Vasantam Mahotsava, Holi and Krishna Swing Festival. These were celebrated grandly and which were presided over by the reigning monarch personally. The Mahanavami Dibba, which is supposedly one of the most popular tourist destinations today, the huge raised platform in the middle of Hampi was used extensively for the Navaratri celebrations. This platform used to have a massive decorated wooden structure over it that was burnt down during the sack of Hampi after the Battle of Tallikota. The temples in Vijayanagara also created massive employment and provide sustenance to not just its subjects but also to people emigrating from other kingdoms. The rulers also gave a lot of donations to the priestly community to help them build agraharas that then created more jobs, avenues for charity, educational and religious institutions. The temples employed astrologers, reciters of Puranas, timekeepers, mantra pushpa reciters and resident scholars. Then there were people employed to supply flowers, garlands, carpenters, chefs, goldsmiths, tailors, gardeners, drivers, watchmen, cowgi suppliers, drum beaters, torch bearers, decorators, musicians, cleaners, etc. from various communities cutting across different castes and creeds. In short, people like priests, farmers, merchants, ordinary citizens actively participated in maintaining and developing rituals in the temple. This in turn helped furthering communal harmony and overall tranquility in the society. This pluralistic collective of communities that helped in maintenance and sustenance of temples were referred to respectfully as Padamula Parivara. Also, irrespective of who built the temples, 
in Vijayanagara, they were always treated as a valuable community property. That was the responsibility and duty of the collective to ensure its upkeep and health. because of the important role it played in social welfare in addition to its religious importance the administration of these temples in vijayanagara was highly efficient ethical strictly audited and streamlined on a side note it's not something that people today can fully emulate this is an extreme contrast with the debased and corrupt way in which the indian state and the local administrations today interfere and run the temples the temples in which the state has no business to poke its nose in the first place coming back to the topic the old vijayanagara inscriptions on the vittala hazara rama temple and raghunatha temple near penukunda do mention the appointment of sthanika or sthanapati as a manager or trustee for each of these temples Sri Krishna Deva Raya appointed two sthanikas for the Balakrishna temple. The sthanikas administered these temples in addition to managing the lands and property of the temple and also receiving grants made to the official state deity Virupaksha. Most big temples had an elaborate treasury arrangement within the complex that housed its wealth, important financial documents and accumulated treasures. This was known as bandara. which is kept under the supervision of an official called bhandari we are also lucky to have names of some of these thanikas who manage the vithala complex names like deemaya narasaya virappa chikavirappa and purushottama the temples back then were also repositories of art art and religion has always been inseparable in hinduism and through most of the indian history Temples have always fostered and encouraged fine arts. It's mentioned in several inscriptions of Vijayanagara that the worship of the deities in temples consisted of two main elements, Angabhoga and Rangabhoga. Angabhoga entails services rendered to the body of the deity like bathing, applying sandalwood paste, burning incense sticks, lighting a lamp and decoration with flowers. Rangabhoga means external service beside the body like offering dhupamu deepamalu naivedyam and archana also theatrical acts like singing dancing and drama in front of the deity were also considered rangabhoga these famous temples with continued patronage of vijayanagara rulers gradually became one of the nerve centers for music dance drama sculpture architecture painting and other arts The big temples like Virupaksha, Balakrishna, Achyuta, Vittala, Hazara Rama were no less than the king's court itself in terms of artists it employed. These temples used to be fine art galleries of the day for aspiring artists, sculptors, painters alike to make a mark for themselves and earn a livelihood. Nowadays we have snobbish modern art galleries displaying pathetic pieces of trash under the name of art. Whereas Vijayanagara Renaissance and Persian art of the 16th century used to be real art and was nothing like the phony stuff of the 21st century that one can put together with a dollar 5 restroom hardware from a nearby IKEA or Home Depot store. Anyway, moving on from one of the depressing 21st century travesties, a typical Vijayanagara temple consisted of a sanctum, Pradakshina Patha. 
an ardha mandapa a sabha mandapa with entrances on three sides mukha mandapa kalyana mandapa parivara shrines for attendant deities and an enclosed prakara which means courtyard with entrances adorned by majestic gopuras there also used to be a balipeetha a flagstaff and lamp pillars there might be one or three entrances into the main temple complex it's worth pointing out that the vijayanagara temples in the tamil provinces of its empire had even more exquisite features and which were again imported back into the main vijayanagara temple architecture many instances of royals and military officers funding upgrades and additional temple facilities have been recorded extensively for example an epigraph from 1521 ad indicates that a military officer called timmaraja built the utsava mandapa in the hazara rama temple in hampi in most of the major vijayanagara temples navaranga or sava mandapas were constructed for the performance of music and dance the large pillared halls in most of these main temples were built for the same reason krishnadevaraya is known to have built the ranga mandapa in the virupaksha temple in 1510 ad in year after his ascension many of the dance performances in these temples were performed by dancing girls employed by the temples the main duty of these dancing girls was to dance in front of the deities and they were professionally trained in the art of music and dance at the cost of the temple under supervision of its in-house expert music and dance masters the portuguese traveler domingo pais who was a frequent visitor to the hampi court describes in detail the hall where women of the royal household were taught dancing and it's clear from these chronicles that there were two groups of dancers those employed by the temples and those employed by the royal court then there were devadasis female servants in temples while there are some unflattering connotations that are attached to the idea of devadasis especially after the 18th century and the eventual exploitation due to various other factors Back in the 16th century Vijayanagara Devadasis were highly respected women they were young charming beautiful and accomplished women in singing dancing and public relations many of them were honored with certain privileges for their services many of the devadasis also gave donations to the temples for maintenance and it's recorded that one of the devadasis even constructed a vasanta mandapa or a nataka shala Many of the devadasis enchanted the minds of devotees and artists alike with their performances and charm. Naturally, they were huge sources of inspirations for many sculptors back in the day. It's worth pointing out that devadasis are not the same as courtesans hired in the royal court. While courtesans did offer sexual companionship to the royalty and nobility, their profession wasn't limited to just that. they were accomplished singers and dancers as they were professionally taught in those arts since their childhood a courtesan also used to be accomplished in various other fields and had to be nothing short of a learned scholar a skilled musician clever gambler and a brilliant conversationalist in order to win over the men of wealth and distinction courtesans of the day were highly respected and considered as elite of the social order The only difference between courtesans and devadasis was the latter dependent on the temples for their livelihood 
while the former were independent and became affluent in their own right a courtesan from a humble background could rise to the top of the food chain if she played her cards right and was talented enough this is also one of the instances of the fluid nature of social mobility in vijayanagara society irrespective of from where you came from this is a testament to its cosmopolitan and pluralistic dna an epigraph or inscription of 1531 ad of achyuta devaraya states that a temple dancer by name kuppasani was given the title of vidvat sabaraya ranjakam in the court of scholars and even sent one of these dancers by name muddu kuppai the daughter of another kuppasani in 1531 ad to tirumala tirupati to dance in front of the main deity as part of his service these women would have given many of the hyped up good for nothing bollywood celebrities and pseudo intellectuals in our current society a run for their money that's for sure a 16th century vijayanagara devadasi or courtesan who is charming beautiful trained in astronomy economics sciences and philosophy would have most definitely shred the fragile egos of most men and women alive today who can't even point out to the pole star in the sky or navigate to their homes without their smartphones so next time my listeners when you hear about devadasis or courtesans from antiquity please make sure you don't just think of kama sutra instead think of high intelligence and sheer talent they deserve a lot more respect than we can actually afford unfortunately our indian movies have unfairly depicted these fine women in a debased manner to make it look colorful and juicy with generous amounts of objectification and unwarranted show of flesh for the women on the silver screen so these temples also used to house the most cutting edge of the musical instruments as part of its artistic arsenal in addition to musical literature of highest quality the official state pontiff and the founding seer of vijayanagara vidyaranya is said to have written a musical classic called sangeeta sara consisting of 15 primary ragas that were supposedly housed and recited in one of these temples and krishna devaraya himself was an accomplished musician and a master poet achyuta devaraya and our tragic hero aliya ramaraya were also said to have been great patrons of music ramaraya himself was an accomplished player of veena as per an inscription from 1589 ad so music dance and art seem to have been an integral part of life for both royalty and an average humble citizen before its sack in 1565 ad by the deccan sultanate forces the venetian traveler nicolo conti is reported to have seen the common folk of the city spending 3 full days singing dancing and feasting during the mahanavami festival when it came to the art of sculpting and exquisite quality of sculptures carved in vijayanagara there was no equal to it in the 16th century from the awestruck chronicles of european and middle eastern travelers one can only infer that vijayanagara art was on was on a totally different plane when compared to the rest of the world the gigantic and magnificent 7 meter tall monolith of ugra narsimha and its enclosure was commissioned by the great raya in 1528 ad a year before he died 
It seems to have been left unfinished for some reason, probably because the Raya died. We are not exactly sure why it was left unfinished. But it was consecrated by the great Raya's royal guru, Arya Krishna Bhatta. In this monolith, one can see the beautiful yet terrifying Narasimha sitting in a cross-legged yoga position on a three-fold coil of serpent king Adisesha. This monolith though in reality isn't just Ugra Narasimha, it's actually Lakshmi Narasimha. The reason people over years ended up referring to it as a former was due to the fact that one of the arms that's encircling the waist of his consort, Lakshmi, is missing along with the goddess herself. This monolith was partly destroyed during the sack of Hampi by the Deccan Sultanate forces after the Battle of the Lakota in 1565 AD. The accompanying Lakshmi statue was reportedly broken off with the help of crowbars and axes from Narasimha and supposedly pulverized to pieces. So next time you see this beautiful monolith in Hampi, please try visualizing the goddess Lakshmi sitting on one of his thighs and see if you can mentally complete the beautiful piece of art at least that way. And not so far from this statue, we have a majestic underground Shivalingam or also known as Badavalinga that's 3 meters in height. It is said that the bottom part of this linga is always underwater. Then there are also some beautiful Ganesha idols and shrines in the city. Two of the most beautiful and largest ones are located in the sacred Hemakuta region of Hampi. There are also some Jain temples in the city that depict sculptures of Tirthankaras, Yakshas and seated Munis. And by the time of the great Raya, the portrait sculpture style had become very famous and prevalent. Reports of exquisite paintings adorning the walls and ceilings of the palaces in Hampi are described in detail in the chronicles of Domingo Pace. A single episode clearly can never do justice to the depth, scale and extent of heart in Hampi or Vijayanagara. Along with temples, Agraharas and Mathas of Vijayanagara city played an important role, not just in the spheres of religion but also in education and learning. They were important centers of education. With the influence of Jainism and Buddhism, monastic systems evolved. This is natural. This certainly had an impact on Hindu religion and its tradition was adopted, continued by the Acharyas of the Hindu temples and Mathas. Education in India has always been given high importance since the ancient times. That continued even in Vijayanagara, with the rulers, nobles, merchants and people across the society generously supporting these educational and religious institutions. It's worth pointing out that, considering the cosmopolitan and highly pluralistic nature of Vijayanagaran society, there were rarely anyone who were deprived of education. A great care was taken by the royals, nobles, merchants and ordinary citizen classes to be well educated. During the reign of Great Raya, educational centers with establishments of many Mathas and Agraharas flourished. It is said that in these Mathas and Agraharas, the teachers were of highest moral character, religious minded and very well versed in all branches of knowledge and sciences. They were very proficient in teaching philosophy, logic, Vedas, grammar, poetry, drama, dance, music, astronomy, algebra, trigonometry and literature. 
these institutions offered free boarding and scholarships to anyone who was interested in educating him or herself irrespective of from where they came most of these mathas also had their own libraries some of the massive ones containing priceless manuscripts texts and books of various nature going back hundreds of years these libraries were called pustaka bandaras almost all of this was wiped out in a matter of few weeks of hampi's brutal sacking post tallikota agraharas too served similar functions as mathas with the only difference being that it was a settlement of brahmins endowed with lands houses and facilities by the proclamation of royal order an agrahara was like a corporate body that had full autonomy on its assets and was self-governing in nature but it didn't fully own the land on which it was situated on the other hand mathas used to own the land on which they were situated finally let's look at another important role of the temples in vijayanagara temples back then functioned as banks this wasn't a fantastical innovation on part of the vijayanagara rulers this aspect of temples goes back to the ancient period of india instead both temples and merchant guilds acted as banks doling out loans to borrowers and receiving deposits from the public the only thing was vijayanagara took it to the next level just like everything else it did hence there was a huge inflow of continuous income to the temples as these deposits accumulated in the temples the trustees gradually decided trustees when i say sthanikas gradually decided to make use of those funds for the public service so the temple trustees or sthanikas invited the leading merchants of the city to use those funds as a capital and in turn asking them to pay interest on it usually the interest rate was considerably high some inscriptions of balakrishna temple and vithala temple mention such banking activities happening during the time of achyuta devaraya in 1536 ad the interest per month was 5 ghatti gaddiana and 50 chakra gaddiana per month on an amount of 200 gaddianas while it's difficult to give the inflation adjusted values of these denominations we do know that a gaddiana was also known as a varaha varaha was a gold bullion coin of probably 3.4 grams and ghatti gaddiana mostly means it was a gold coin that was debased to a slight extent and chakra gaddiana was probably of lower denomination with higher levels of debasing probably even using some other cheaper metal so the interest being charged was sufficient to fund the temple expenditure of one ritual in a way temples worked as a modern day cooperative banks without going bust by giving bad loans like it happens today and in many instances temples supplanted the powerful merchant guilds as financiers so we have seen in detail how the medieval period temples in vijayanagara attained greater significance as centers of fine arts religion education and banking This is only due to Vijayanagara being headed by competent rulers for most of its existence and until the D-Day at Talikota. The city as such was also well protected by its competent armies and its natural fortresses till the end of 16th century. This allowed the Vijayanagara rulers 
ample time to systematically build grand temples, complexes and other feats of engineering across the empire. If the beating heart of Rome was the roar of the Colosseum and marble of its senate, the beating heart of Humpy was the ringing bell of Virupaksha and the polished granite of Vitthala. With this, we end the episode. And I hope listeners enjoyed learning about the importance of temples to the 16th century citizens of Humpy. There is so much that I couldn't cover when it came to art in Vijayanagara. It's just too vast and might even deserve its own mini-season. So I sincerely apologize for going only this far in the interest of my listeners' valuable time. If my listeners are really interested in few more episodes in this aspect, please do let me know and give me feedback so I can plan for such episodes in the future. A huge thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. If you like the content, please hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and a review for the show. In the next episode, we will understand the importance of Tirumala Tirupati Alayam to the Vijayanagara rulers, its citizens and its polity. We will also go in depth into the fascinating aspects of the Tirupati temple and the powerful role it played on the social, economic and political fronts. Till then, this is your host and narrator Narendra Vikram signing off. Hope you have a wonderful week ahead.